Today we are continuing in our sermon series through the book of Psalms. I invite you to turn over with me to Psalm 116. Thought about going on Psalm 119, but we would have been here until next Sunday if we did that. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all the Bible, and there's so many good things there. If you haven't been reading along with us, I encourage you to jump in, just as Donna did, and, and begin reading the Psalms. They, uh, they really nourish our soul, I think. And Psalm 116 stood out to me, and to Marcia, who mentioned, hey, you should preach on Psalm 116, you know, so I do know how to listen and follow directions, so... But this really uh, did stand out to me as well as I read over it. It moved me, and it challenged me, and I think it'll do the same for us today. So would you read with me chapter 116 of the Psalms? It begins like this. I love the Lord, for he heard my cry. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of my grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The, the Lord protects the unwary. And when I was brought low, he saved me. Return to rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have directed me from death, delivered me from death, my ears, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. When shall I return to the Lord? What shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his servants. Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did, and you have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are seated, we do have Kingdom Kids today. So that is a ministry for those who are four years old all the way through second grade. It's a chance for them to worship and learn at their level. Miss Rosemary, our Kingdom Kid workers, will be in the back. So if you have any kiddos that would like to be involved in that ministry, just head on back there now. And parents, if they've never participated in that before, you'll want to accompany them, get them signed up and registered. They'll be just next door over in our education building that you heard a little bit about earlier. That's going to undergo the remodel eventually. And so downstairs is where they're going to have a chance to enjoy Kingdom Kids. And you'll just pick them up from there after the service today. Okay, Psalm 116. Before we dive in, would you pray with me? Father God, we come to your word this morning, many, many of us knowing what the psalmist is talking about. We know what crisis is like. We know what either experiencing the loss of someone close to us or being near death ourselves. And God, many of us have experienced the delivery 
from one crisis or another. And God, I thank you that this psalm is here. It stands as a testament to us how we should respond when the crisis has passed. So we come to your word as your word. You have spoken into being. We want to understand it. More than that, we want to understand you, who is the author of it, that we might live our lives in ways that would honor you, live in relationship with you as your children, and God, look forward together to what you have for us in the future. So God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us today, that we would just have a strong sense of of your mighty hand over us, protecting us as well as guiding us. And God, that in some small way and for some maybe even a big way, we might leave this place today different than when we came. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what stands out to me in Psalm 116 is that the author or the psalmist is writing about what life is like after a crisis. And if I were to ask you, have you ever been through a crisis, most of you would say, Yes, if you've made it out of childhood, you've probably gone through a crisis or two in your life. And sadly, some, even this morning, who are in childhood have gone through their own crisis. We've all experienced that to some degree or another. Now, this psalm is part of the what's called the Psalter, the Book of Psalms. And the psalms were written and put together as a way for the, God's people, the, the Hebrews or the Israelites, to worship God. To sing songs and pray these together. And this particular psalm would often be used as part of their worship service. And and it was a way to remember or connect to their past that God had delivered them from Egypt, which we talked a little bit about last week. And so what we can learn from this psalm, I think, is not how to survive a crisis, but what should life look like on the other side of a crisis. When we've gone through the storm, how do we live Now that we've passed through it, that's what's happened with this psalmist. And so he asked the question, what shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? Verse 12. And then throughout the entire psalm, he's answering that question. This is how I will live in the land of the living, as he calls it in verse 9. Multiple times we find throughout this psalm, I will. In the, in the beginning of uh, the psalm, in verse 2, halfway through, he says, I will. In verse 13, he says, I will. In verse 14, he says, I will. In verse 17, he says, I will. And in verse 18, he says, I will. What's he doing? He's saying, now that I've gone through the storm, I've passed through the crisis, how shall I live in the land of the living? What shall I return to the Lord for his goodness to me? This is what I will do. This is how I will live. And so that's a question for us, I think. How will we live after a crisis? So beginning in verse 1, the first thing that we see is he does not forget the crisis. He says, I will remember. I will remember. We see that throughout the first first 11 verses. He is talking about what he remembers Not just about the crisis itself, but also about God's intervention. But he starts in verse verse 3. He says, The cords of death entangle me. The anguish 
of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. What is he doing? He is remembering the crisis. Sometimes when we go through a crisis, we'd rather just put it behind us and pretend like it never happened. But as we said last week, anything bad that is buried never stays buried. The crisis that we go through in life, if we don't remember and bring it before the Lord to work through it, will in some way come back into our life in ways unexpected or expected and can be very challenging for us to live in the land of the living, as the psalmist said. So the first thing we see him doing is remembering both the crisis and for him, obviously, it was death. He was on, on, on the verge of death. We don't know what it was, if it was threat from enemies or if it was illness or what it was. We don't know. We just know that he was facing death and he cries out to the Lord. He doesn't just remember those terrible moments when he faced death. He also remembered God's intervention. You see that in verse 5 and 6. He says, the Lord, or, or, yeah, verse 5, sorry. I was starting in verse 6. Starting in verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. He remembers not only the storm itself, but that God had brought him through the storm. But that's not the only thing he does. He not, he not only remembers, but he says he will also continue to call on the name of the Lord. And sometimes when we're in a crisis, have you ever noticed that your prayer life really improves in a crisis? I, I have noticed that for myself at least. We tend to pray a lot more when life is going through challenges, right? And the psalmist says, I'm not going to stop there. I'm not going to stop reaching out to the Lord now that the storm has passed. I will continue to call out on the name of the Lord. Of course he called on God's name when he was going through the crisis. We see that throughout. You see it in verse 4. After talking about facing death, he says, Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Verse 13, he says, I will lift up the cup of my salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Verse 17, he says, I will sacrifice the thanks offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. But here we see in verse 2, because God had turned his ear and heard him, he says, I will call on him as long as I live. So the challenge here to us, I think, is pray after the crisis just as you prayed in the crisis. Don't let passing through that storm or that challenge of life slow down your relationship with God. That prayer life, that calling on the name of the Lord is the principal reason God has placed you in this world is to have a relationship with him in which there can be communication. This may sound like kind of a routine thing in scripture, but, but it's really not that there is a God who created everything you see and don't see, and he wants to talk to you and to me. I don't think we should get, ever get over how incredible that is. That the God of the universe, who is looking out for billions of people, still wants to hear specifically from you. That's amazing. And so the psalmist 
says, I will all the days of my life never cease to call on the name of the Lord, to pray, to talk to him. And so I think the challenge here for us is to pray after the crisis like we did during the crisis. Regularly, fervently, honestly, pouring out our pleas and our cries for help to God, knowing that he wants to hear us. There's another interesting thing that happens when we go through a crisis that maybe you've experienced, is that sometimes we will say, God, if you get me out of this, I will. You ever said anything like that? I remember one time I borrowed my brother's car and I wasn't supposed to. I went to go see a young lady uh, who I eventually married, so it all worked out in the end. But that day it didn't work out particularly well because the car broke down in the middle of the road. And I just had to walk home like a couple miles. And most of my prayer walking home was, God, if you will get me out of this, I will. I don't remember what else there was to it, but I remember that. God, help me out of this mess I have created for myself. But in a more serious way, sometimes people make vows in the face of a crisis. God, if you help me with this, then I will. Interestingly, the psalmist does this. And he doesn't just mention it in passing once. He actually mentions it twice. Look at verse 14. He says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. And then again in verse 18, I, the same exact phrase, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. It's possible that sometimes God brings us to a crisis and sees us through the crisis that we may realize some things that need to change about our lives. The clarity of the crisis helps us to understand this needs to change. I need to change. And so we say that to God. God, if you'll get me through this, I know this needs to change in my life, and it will. Now, there's, you could do this in a very frivolous, half-hearted kind of way. But I think the psalmist did this in a sincere kind of way. We don't even know what his vows are. I think that's often the case in the psalms. It doesn't give us the specifics. So that we can apply it to our life. And here's the application I think perhaps for us is that if God has given you clarity in the crisis, don't forget that on the other side. Remember the things that you prayed to God sincerely in the challenge that you were going through and fulfill that vow to God on the other side. Don't, don't feel like the pressure is off and now you don't have to make those changes that God gave you clarity to see that needed to be made. Perhaps that was one of the very reasons he allowed you to go through it. Don't waste that crisis and the clarity it brought on the other side by not fulfilling the things that you sense God is calling you to do. So what do we do on the other side of a crisis? The psalmist is he's showing us. He's showing us the importance of remembering the crisis itself and God's deliverance, number one. Number two, he's showing us that it's important to call on God outside of the crisis, after the crisis, just as you did during it. Continue keeping up that relationship with God in prayer 
is number two. And number three, the clarity with which we may see after the cri- or in the crisis how we should be living our life on the other side of it, fulfill that. And then number four that we see here is the psalmist sees it as necessary to bear witness to what God has done in his life. Now that he's on the other side of the crisis, he wants other people to know, this is what God did for me. Where do we find that? Verse 14b. Talks about fulfilling my vows to the Lord, but where? In the presence of all people. Verse 19, the first part, or, or backing up to verse 18, I'll fulfill my vows to the people, in the presence of all the people. In the courts, verse 19, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Now what he's saying here is that I, in front of God's people, am going to bear this testimony. Going to fulfill what God has shown me. There's nothing quite like saying, let me tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you how God has changed my life. Let me tell you the incredible blessings God has, has, has brought to bear for me. In the words of the psalmist, let me tell you the Lord is gracious, verse 5, and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. He protects the unwary, like me. And when I was brought low, he saved me. Each of us have some kind of testimony. It might be the testimony of salvation. It might be the testimony of provision. It might be the testimony of deliverance. It might be the testimony of escaping death itself as it is for the psalmist. But we all have some kind of testimony. Have you shared that testimony? Have you borne witness to what God has done in your life? I think the psalmist is showing us in Psalm 116, this is an important part of how you live in the land of the living, past the crisis. How should we return to the Lord all of his goodness, verse 12? We remember, we continue, we fulfill, and we bear witness to the goodness of God. This is something you can do today. You go home, sit around the lunch table. Everybody can go around and share. Something you can do tomorrow at school with your friends. Just tell of the goodness of God shown to you in your life. It can be very simple. But it's a powerful thing. Another thing that we see here, in the middle, it kind of stands out. I was reading a bunch of commentaries on it. Nobody really knew what to do with it. I'm going to take a stab at it. But it does seem odd. Right in the middle, or towards the end really, Verse 15, the psalmist says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. He's talking about escaping death. And some commentators said, well, he's not really saying uh, precious in the sight of the Lord. He's saying costly in the sight. Because there is some correlation there between that which is precious and that which is costly. That which is valuable, you could call precious. So maybe he's saying it's this, when you're a servant of the Lord, you're valuable to the Lord. And when you pass from this life to the next, God feels the loss. I, I don't know about that. Because uh, when we pass from this life to the next, we are with the Lord. So how could he experience the loss when we are now with him? So I'm not sure about that way of understanding it. 
I wonder if the psalmist is thinking about, now that I've gone through this crisis of death, guess what? I'm still going to die. If Christ does not return, which is part of the Christian belief that one day he will return, we don't know when. Very well could be today, next week, or in a hundred or a thousand years. God knows, we don't know. But we live prepared for that day that Christ may return. But if he doesn't return, we know a hundred out of a hundred people will die. Statistical reality. Every one of us will go through that door of death and pass from this life to the next. Now the psalmist has escaped that, right? It's pretty clear he is talking about literal and physical death. He was in the midst of it. There were, he, it was as if there were cords wrapped around his body pulling him into the grave. That's how he describes it in verse 3. And God cut those cords and set him free. And because God has set him free, he is looking back and saying, I faced death and came out of it, but maybe, verse 15, he's saying, but I know one day I'm still going to have to go through the door of death. And maybe it should be said of me, here is the Lord's servant. And this servant of the Lord is precious to him. And the Lord sees him and welcomes him or her home. Maybe that's what he means by precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. He's looking ahead knowing that even though he escaped death this time, a time will be coming when he cannot. And when he goes through that door of death, wouldn't it be wonderful if it was said of him, here is a faithful servant of mine and God gives him a great welcome home. I think that's probably more in line with what he's saying. Because if you look at verse 16, he says, Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. And you have freed me from my chains. These chains of death that were making it look as if I was going to die. You set me free from those chains or those cords. And now I am free to serve you even more fully. Here's the point. On the other side of crisis, when we're freed from the crisis... Because when you, you know this, when you're in a crisis, that's all your world is about. It can consume you. And there's a lot to deal with. It's very understandable. But when you get on the other side of it, what will you do? You've been freed from that crisis. What will you do with that freedom? And the psalmist says here, I'm on this other side of the crisis. I want to serve the Lord. Until I take that last breath, I want to be a servant of the Lord that when I enter into the gates of heaven and I stand before God and I see his face and he looks at me, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's actually, this is a bit of an aside, but it's actually one of the benefits of a crisis. It frees us from the illusion that we're the master. And if we'll allow it, it'll remind us that we are humble servants. And being a servant in the house of the Lord is better than being our own master any day of the week. We remember, we continue, we fulfill, we bear witness, and we serve. Last thing. Last thing I think we can learn from Psalm 116 on how to live after a crisis is this. The psalmist obviously worships and gives thanks to God. It's kind of the most obvious one. 
but we can't skip it. It's too important. And as often is the case, worship and praise and thanks, it just kind of all goes together. We're praising God for who he is. That's worship. And as we think about how good he is, we can't help but thank him for how good he has been to us. That's worship. Can't really get past that. First part of verse 17, he says, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you. Now, now that's language that they used back then. And when they were thankful to God, they would make some kind of sacrifice or offer to God as a way to express their thanks. Second half, last little phrase of the entire psalm, it ends with praise the Lord. So what's he doing on the other side of the crisis? He's saying, thank you, God. I praise you, God. I worship you, God. So that's how we live our life. After a crisis is over, how do we live? We remember, we continue, we fulfill, we bear witness. We serve and we worship and give God thanks. If you're in a crisis now... I hope what this psalmist can encourage you with is that God will see you through. There is no promise of the outcome. I can't promise you that your outcome will be just as, just as it was for the psalmist. There's no guarantee of that. But there is a guarantee that God will see you through the crisis. And you can doubt that. Maybe you do. And all I can say to that is, what I know of God and what I know of his word is that your greatest crisis God has already entered into and solved. And if he did that for your greatest crisis, he'll do it for any crisis. You say, well, what is that? What, what is this greatest crisis you're talking about? Because I don't, I don't know. Whether you realize it or not or whether you agree with it or not, from the Bible, what we learn is that our greatest crisis is sin. It is a very foundation for the reason of death at all is the wages of sin is death the scriptures tell us sin is at the heart of our greatest crisis physical death is one thing but in eternal death sins on our shoulders walking into eternal damnation away from the loving presence of God what crisis could there be that is greater than that for you or I to spend our forever apart from the loving presence of God, what greater crisis could there be than that? There isn't one. And see, God has provided a way for us to be delivered from that. So I believe he will provide a way for us to be delivered through any crisis that we face. How are we delivered? How is the possibility of deliverance offered to us? There's an interesting phrase in here that we kind of pass by, but I want to come back to. One of the things that the psalmist wants to give testimony to in the presence of God's people is salvation. And he says in verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation. Now that's a phrase you'll see throughout the scriptures, kind of an interesting term, the cup of salvation. A cup, if you just imagine a cup, it's filled up with something. And that something is poured out on you. You drink what's in the cup. It's poured out over you. The contents of the cup are now 
experienced in your life one way or another. And he's saying, God filled my cup with salvation. And now I drink that salvation. Or that salvation is poured out for me, over me. That's his testimony. So here's the point. How do, how do we know God will get us through a crisis? He's already gotten you through the greatest crisis that we could possibly imagine, which is to be separated from him for an eternity because of our sin. How did he do that? See, just as there is a cup of salvation, there is a cup of God's wrath. God is rightly angry when we sin. What does he do with that anger? Jesus takes that cup. He drinks that cup. He takes our punishment. He takes our sin. He said he is the solution to our greatest crisis. He says in verse 39 of chapter 26 of the Gospel of Matthew, he is in anguish, he's praying, he's right on the edge of being arrested, tried, found guilty, and crucified. He knows what's coming. He's withdrawn to a place to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's brought a few friends along with him, but he kind of goes off to himself and he begins to pray. And this is the prayer. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup, cup of God's wrath for our sin, that cup, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We know the end of the story. The father does not have the cup of God's wrath passed from him. Rather, Jesus does take that cup of God's wrath for us. Our punishment for our sin. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. Our punishment for our sin so that we could drink the cup of salvation poured out freely to us who believe. God has gotten us through that crisis sin and death and eternal separation from him, he can get us through any crisis. And on the other side of that crisis, whether it's coming face to face with your own sin and what in the world do you do with that and now you've experienced salvation, it's a crisis of facing death or illness, it's a financial crisis, it's a marital crisis, there's no end to the amount of crises we experience in this world. But when God gets us through, as he will, let us do as the psalmist did and remember not only the crisis but God, how God delivered. Let us remember that just as we prayed fervently in the crisis, we want to continue that connection on the other side. Let us fulfill any vows or commitments we've made to the Lord because we saw more clearly what was important in life. Let us serve him freely that we might be welcomed into heaven with those great words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And let us live our life with an attitude of worship and thankfulness. Because this is who God is. He is the kind of God that would take that cup of wrath and have himself drink it. So that we might drink the cup of salvation. That's who God is.
For that, we give thanks. Let's pray. Father God, as we always do, we give thanks for your word. You've inspired these incredible psalms. That you've given us, God, a picture of what life should be like when you bring us through whatever challenges or crises we're facing in this world. Father, right now, I specifically want to pray for those who may be realizing the very crisis that we just spoke of, that there is distance between you and them, that there is sin in their life, and they don't know what to do with it. May they see that in Jesus, just as the psalmist saw in you before Jesus, how much more clearly we see in you now that Christ has come and lived and died and resurrected and rose again, that you, Lord, are gracious and righteous and full of compassion. That is who you are, that you would send your son and your son would gladly come to drink that cup of wrath, that we might drink the cup of salvation. So I pray for those who may feel the weight of that crisis in their life. She would free them from that burden, knowing that you have solved that for them. All that is required is to take the cup, take the gift, receive what you have done for us in Jesus. That we might be forgiven and have eternal life. What greater gift is there than that? And for that we give thanks in Jesus' name. Maybe there's a particular crisis you're thinking of that you've been through. Maybe you're in one now. But I hope one of these things that stood out to you as, yes, that is what God is calling me to in this present moment in my life. And if you would just pray and talk to God about that and say, God, I, I sense that this is the thing you want me to focus on now that you've brought me through this crisis. And let that be your prayer this morning, and let that be your commitment to him, and continue that on. And one of the best things you can do is, if you sense that, you get, you've got some clarity about that, is to share that with someone today. Let them know what God spoke to you about, and how you sense he's calling you to respond. And if you do that, I believe that God will help you and give you the strength to continue moving in that direction.